Joshua 3 gives us in broad strokes what happens when God calls his people to cross over the Jordan River. Uh, And then next week in Joshua chapter 4, Lord willing, uh, God will show us uh, a little more in detail of how he accomplished it and how we are called to be thankful for God's provision and providence in our lives. But this morning I want us to look at this this principle of the fact that when God calls us to the waters, when he calls us to trials and tribulations, to temptations, to hardships, to raising support, to go to Australia for three years, when he calls us to the waters, God provides a way through. There may be some collateral damage along the way. We may face real hard times. God doesn't just promise us that We won't experience hard times, but he does promise us that he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us, and he will see us through them, especially as he goes before us by his presence and by his providential care. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading and preaching of his word. So Father, we come to you helpless as those who need to receive again your grace. Father, help us this morning as we look at at how you provided for your people, for your glory and for their good, a way through the Jordan River, that we would meet with you by the Spirit, and that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that having met with you, we would be changed as we look to you in faith. pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joshua 3, hear now the word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning... And they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 1,000 yards. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of all—excuse me—behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each a tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, 
bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down uh, toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry land, dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Well, there is a school in Kajabi, Kenya, which is right outside Nairobi, called the Rift Valley Academy. It's gorgeous. It's, the Rift Valley uh, is this um, valley that runs through, through many countries. And this school is set up on the side of the mountain overlooking this gorgeous vista. The sunsets are staggering. But Kenya has not always been known to be one of the most stable of countries. In fact, they've had many uprisings and many um, rebellions in the last several decades even. But there is this school, Rift Valley Academy, that has for the last hundred years educated missionary students from all around the world. Indeed, Teddy Roosevelt set the cornerstone of this school when he was there for a safari. Well, during something called the Mau Mau Uprising, it was in the 50s, in which a large contingent of the population decided that they didn't like the British so more, so much anymore, they rose up and they especially targeted any British subjects. And there were many at this school. So the British sent about 20 armed soldiers to protect this school. But while they were able to fend off small skirmishes, small attacks, 20 men certainly is not enough to be able to fend off a large number of rebels. And indeed one night, the rebels, according to one eyewitness, took a satanic vow. They said, we will kill every man, woman, and child in this school, and it will happen tonight. So instead of just the handful of rebels that they had used before, a great horde of rebels descended upon the Rift Valley Academy, ready to kill everyone. So the the bells tolled, and the children went into their dorms. The teachers were on the watch, and the soldiers were called out, and the attack began. But you know, halfway through that attack, it suddenly stopped. And the soldiers, the, the, the rebels rather, suddenly turned away in fear and retreated down the mountainside, much to the bewilderment and excitement of those students and parents and teachers and soldiers. Well, one of the rebels was captured. In interrogation, one of the soldiers asked him, Why in the world did you halt your assault on the school? And he said, it was all the soldiers. 
not just the British soldiers, but the hundreds of soldiers that surrounded the perimeter of Rift Valley Academy. And do you know as we shot them, they would not die. The 7.62 by 39 rounds and their AK-47s had no effect on the angels. And the mortar rounds which were coming and going, they did nothing to the angelic bodies. And as the Lord of hosts called down his host to protect the Rift Valley Academy and to preserve these lives of these, these little children, many of whom would become missionaries around the world in their day, the Lord protected his own. When the Lord calls us to the waters, when the Lord calls us to tribulation, he provides a way through. He may not provide a way through through the angelic hosts as he did at the Rift Valley Academy. It may be something more mundane as a prescription, as a friend, as a job. When God calls us to the waters, he prepares a way through. And indeed, if he had not protected those men, women, and children, he would have provided a way through death into the hands of their loving God. Well, if you, if you follow the Rift Valley from Kenya, 2,268 miles, it goes straight north. And it goes to a place about 4.7 miles east of a place called Jericho. And in that valley runs a river by the name of the Jordan. And here another uh, set of God's people in a different generation had met a very difficult problem indeed. See, God had called them to go over into the promised land to conquer the land of the Girgashites and the, the Amorites and the Perizzites and, the, and all the other ites. So he called them to take possession of it. But between them and the land, on top of all the soldiers, was the Jordan River. And while just a couple spies could certainly get over the Jordan River to spy out the land, this was a whole people group. 600,000 warriors were in the census, and that does not count the men, women, and children. How in the world would they cross over? Well, they had been here before, right? About 40 years earlier, circa 1440 uh, B.C., when they had come up against another body of water, the, the Red Sea. And see, they were even in a more precarious position back then because they were beside the Red Sea. But behind them, coming from Egypt, was Pharaoh's army. God had hardened his heart once more, and he had sent forth the equivalent of M1 Abram tanks of the day, the great chariots of Egypt. And God's people cried out to Moses, Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you would take us out here that we might die in the wilderness? But God provided then too, didn't he? See, he had called them to this moment and God provided a way through the Red Sea and they walked not on muddy ground but upon dry ground. See, God had in their past provided a way through when he called them to difficult things. And so as we come to the present, would God provide a way through? I was speaking to one of our members this week and he was recounting of the last time that downtown was flooded. And he had tried to go down there with a boat without a motor. Apparently there's a law in the books. You can't have a motor uh, downtown on a boat in a flood. Uh, And he had tried this. He had tried it with just oars. And he said it got pretty dangerous because of the currents. Now can you imagine not only that, but, but at harvest time, the Jordan River overflowing its banks... There were no fords they could walk through. The, the water was not shallow anywhere. The torrents of the, the current were swirling. How in the world would they get through it? 
God had called him to this point, but he hadn't told him how he was going to get him through it yet. There could be speculation, but no one really knew. Would God be faithful then? I feel like oftentimes in our lives, as we, as we face hardships and trials, as we, as we face the waters of adversity, we wonder, will God be faithful this time? As we look back at our lives, we see he has been time and time and time and time again. But this time, will he show up? Will he be faithful to his promises? Will he truly not leave me and not forsake me? This was a question that God's people had to ask themselves. Would God show up? Well, I'm pleased to tell you he did. And he shows up in our lives as well. There, there are two verses I want to share with you, one from the Old and one from the New Testament, that I think speak to God's provision in times of hardship when we come to the waters that are so very helpful. The first is Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, I think, in some ways even referencing back this occasion and certainly the crossing of the Red Sea. We read in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame, it shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Note whose strength is it that gets you through these times of fiery trials? Who is it that gets us through these times of of swirling uh, torrents of of a terrible current of the waters of life? Is it us? No. It is God who gets us through it. He has redeemed us. He has called us by His name. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of of Israel, your Savior. We see this, I think, summed up in a very pithy statement in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. This will be part of our benediction today. I encourage you to listen for it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, we have this great promise. During hard times, my mother and I will text each other back this verse. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. See, God had called them to these waters. It was not a surprise to God, oh, look, there's the Jordan River. Who put that there? He had And he had called them to this very thing. It was not a surprise to him. And he who sets out the starry host and knows them by name, he calls us to each and every hardship that we face. It's not a surprise. He who calls you to this thing, he who calls you, he is faithful. And I will surely do it. No. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. You know, if we look to our own strength, what would have happened if the Israelites had looked to their own strength to cross the Jordan River? How many bodies would have littered the banks of the Jordan? And how many times as we face the waters of adversity in our own life and we take things in our own hand and we don't follow the word of God and we we cut corners and we make compromises we ought not to and we don't look to him for strength, how many times have we seen the collateral damage in our lives he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it well he did it he did it here because we see that God was with his people 
we see that God was with his people in a very powerful and special way. We pick up at our text in verses 10 through 11. And here we read this, this great promise of a sign. It says, And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you into the Jordan. How will we know that God will be with us? And how will we know that God will, without fail, defeat his and our enemies? It was a question that God's people had to ask themselves and ones that we must ask ourselves as well. How will we know that God is with us and that he will, without fail, defeat his enemies and our enemies? They may not have the last name of Ites, but we do have enemies, don't we? We call them sin and temptation and that final enemy, death itself. Here he tells them, you will know that he's present with you by the fact that the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. He tells them, whoa, back up. Stand behind this thing 2,000 cubits. That's a, that's a thousand yards. They're uh, 3,000 3, feet, a thousand yards. Why? One, because it's holy. Here is the presence of the Lord God Almighty. You can't get too close, otherwise you will die. And that happens in several places in the Old Testament. But two, you have to give them some space because you don't know where you're going. It says, stand back, for he will show you the way you will go, for you have not passed by this way before. How many times has God called us things in our lives that we have not ever faced before? We've never been through this before. We don't know which way to go. But just as God was with his people here by the Ark of the Covenant, you could ask the question, where is my God? And look out in the middle of the Jordan and say, that's where he is. God is with us. But how much more now that Christ has come, that he would come and be with his people and take on the flesh and blood of human nature. Now he lives inside of us. The Ark of the Covenant was the special place of God's uh, enthronement. What do we read in the New Testament? That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that God is with us? Wherever we go, there he is. And he has given himself to us in Emmanuel, God with us. But, but secondly, we see his providential care. It turns out that the God that we serve really is the God of all the earth. And these waters would obey his voice because he made them. God really is in control. God really is in control. God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And the great mystery that is his providence, his predestination, his election. This is great news to us. For it means that there's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing working against God. There's nothing that's a wild card. It's only what God has ordained. And because he is sovereign, and because he is in control, the three years it takes to raise funds when you plan on six months. You know, the, the years of dealing with wayward children when you pray for a quick fix. The, the many months of unemployment when you need a job. These things are not a surprise to God, but part of his plan. So that when you come to the brink of the rivers, the, Jordans will, the Jordan will stop up 15 to 20 miles north at a place called Adam, opposite of Zarethan. Because he has ordained it to be. 
by his providence, which means his care and control of all of his creatures and all their actions, that he is working all things in this great tapestry for his glory and for our good. That when hard things come upon us, it is part of God's plan for us to make him more like himself, even as we yearn for the true promised land of heaven itself. Well, he would provide a way. Verse 16, we read this. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a, very far, in a, in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is, at, is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down towards the sea of the Arab of the Salt Sea were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Jericho is about 4.7 miles or so, according to Google Maps, uh, from, from the Jordan. I mean, you could see the dust from all these people crossing over on dry ground. Could you see the fires that were being extinguished and then relit on the other side of Jordan? God's enemies knew they were coming. And before their very eyes, God had provided for his people. But God has provided a, a, a way for us that is even more significant. Because as bad and as, and as hard and as powerful and as great as the enemies were of the Jordan River and the Egyptian army and the Red Sea and all these ites in, the Can- in Canaan, there was a bigger obstacle and that is the guilt of our sin. A holy God who could not be within 2,000 cubits of his people, we cannot be in his presence. Because of the guilt of our sin, we are sinners, we have done bad things. We've done bad things because we are bad people. We sin because we are sinners. And because of that, we've incurred guilt. We have broken the law, and there is a penalty, and it is condemnation. And God cannot be in the presence of sin, though he desires for us to be saved and to spend eternity with him. So what would he do? He would make a way. He would send Christ. That just as the Jordan River was cut off, so he would cut off his son at the cross. Just as the waters of the Red Sea would come crashing down in wrathful judgment upon the Egyptian army, so the waters of God's wrath would be poured out on his son on the cross for you and me. That if we believe in Jesus, we too will have a way through God's wrath. That Christ has satisfied God's wrath. That he has absorbed God's wrath. That he has he is, um, uh, sent it back away. Those are all illustrations we have in, in the text, in, in the Bible. He's done this because he loves us. And because he has made a way through God's wrath, he has made a way through the last enemy, which is death. Perhaps it's Satan. He'll be thrown in the lake of fire at the end of the ages, but... But death is something that we, not have, we don't have to fear as believers. As we think about this illustration of the Jordan being death, of, of, of the promised land, of Canaan being heaven, what has Christ done? He has gone into the waters, he has been swallowed by them in death, but it could not hold him. And he was raised from the dead so that we might walk through the Jordan safely on dry ground in the sure confidence that we will enter into the true promised land heaven itself. This he has done for those who trust in him. Do you know this, Jesus? For there is no other hope. This is the, the message of hope that Chris and Catherine will take to, um, to Sydney. This is the truth and hope that Harbor City Church preaches on Sunday mornings. 
And this is our only hope, either in this life or the next. We are reminded this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we stand on this side of the Jordan, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Oh, Lord, we yearn for that day where we, we enter into our true rest, our rest from sin, our rest from hardship, of trial, of, of suffering, of pain, of toil. Lord, we yearn for that rest. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.